if you're a fan of the show and you'd like to see more episodes being made, I need a huge favor from you. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify. Write a review. Tell me what you think about the episodes. Share it with a friend. Anything you can do, any little bit, would be tremendously helpful. Thank you. My name is John Vasiliadis. Welcome to Unspeakable. Professor Jose Aliman, thank you so much for being on my show. I hope you and your family are staying safe. Thank you, John. Thank you for having me, and I hope the same uh, for you. <laughs> thank you. So for the listeners at home, uh, Professor Aliman is a political science professor at Fordham University, and many moons ago, I think it was six years ago, he was actually my professor, and he taught a very good class. I don't think I got an A. But I still learned a lot, so thank you. <laughs> uh, sure, sure. I, I, I didn't know that it was that long ago, but wow, I guess time flies. Yeah. So <laughs> the topic of my episode is fairly simple, and I think it's something a lot of Americans come across when they're voting. And the, the topic is this. Why don't we have third parties? A lot of other countries have more than one party that comes into play in their government, but with the U.S., obviously... It's very rigid two-party system. We have the Democrats, we have the Republicans, and a lot of times when people go to the ballot box, it feels like they're picking the lesser of two evils. So what, what is it about our country that makes us have such a rigid two-party structure? So yeah, John, that's a very important question. I'm, I'm glad that you raised it. Uh, I, I mean, it fundamentally comes down to uh, history. Uh, this is the way that we've always done things, uh, with uh, a few exceptions. Um, but yeah, nothing in the Constitution says or tells us tell us that um, that does you know the the system that we use to choose our legislators and our president and vice president is a system that we have to use, which I would call the I mean. There are a few different names for it, but I would basically call it the majoritarian system. And uh, all that it is is that uh, basically, you know, um, you have a choice of two or more candidates that you can vote for. And um, the candidate that receives the largest number of votes wins uh, the election. It doesn't really matter what the margin of victory is. Um, and so what that does is that it, it tends to drive voters away from candidates that they see as not being very viable. So basically, uh, any candidate that's not affiliated with one of the two main political parties. And it also deters politicians from running as uh, third-party third candidates. Um, themselves right so um, so when you say the margin of victory doesn't matter what do you what do you mean by that yeah so what i mean by that is that um for somebody to win in a district all that they need to do is that they just have to get one more vote and the other the the other 
other candidates, right? Right. Um, and so it doesn't it doesn't really matter um, whether you win by a huge margin or a small margin, right? So what you're saying is, if let's just say there's a district, there's a hundred people in it, uh, fifty one vote for candidate X, forty nine vote for candidate Y. Candidate X wins the whole district, and everybody who voted for candidate Y is a loser and is upset with their with the result. Exactly right. So um, the losers get nothing, and you know the winners get everything. And so the incentive is basically to push one typically out of two candidates over that line, right? Like over the the you know the fifty percent of the vote in this case with two candidates or maybe even like you know 33 percent with three right right and so uh yeah so voters in that situation they make the decision in many cases that they're not going to waste their vote on somebody who is not really viable doesn't really stand the chance of getting the magical 51 percent right right uh and politicians likewise they um they they're, they're, they reason that unless they affiliate themselves with one of the two major parties, then um, right they stand a very low probability of winning. And so they typically don't, right? I mean, that's not to say that you couldn't have uh, third-party candidates running or, or even winning or independents. I mean, in the U.S. Senate right now, we have two independent senators. Right. And the most famous one of them is... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I've heard of him. I'm pretty sure. Isn't he running for president? Yes. That's right. Uh, right. Senator uh, Sanders from Vermont, right? And, um, you know, he's an independent, uh, although he caucuses with Democrats. Um, um, <clears throat> but for, for the most part, that's, you know, that's rare. That's not common. Uh, so I mean, so on the, the voter side, even though a majority of Americans identify as independent, the parties still reign, essentially it comes down to an electability argument. It comes yes. down to the fact that people, regardless of whether they align with somebody or not, they want to pick a winner. Yes. So th- th- there's, a, there's a term uh, for this that we use in political science, right? Like... There's something which is called um, strategic voting, right? So when people are voting not based on their preference, right? Right. But based on uh, what they think is the likelihood that somebody will win, right? Right. Uh, that's, that is what is called strategic voting. And that's what we see a lot in our country with the electoral system that we that we used right even 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 in the the nomination i know i've read like a ton of stuff really calling into question how strategic voters are in reality like is it just like beltway pundits you know claiming voters to be way more strategic than they they actually are but when you you could see when super tuesday happened when everyone kind of consolidated around joe biden and they ended up pulling uh, the ballot for him over maybe their other first preference choices for, you know, Klobuchar or Pete Buttigieg, there, there yes. was, there seemed to really be a concerted strategy in uh, yeah. decidedly picking him. 
Yeah, I think a lot of orders are very torn, right? Like between um, doing what is called sincere voting, which is basically voting uh, without regard to what they think is the consequence of the vote, right? Uh, versus voting uh, to make sure that an outcome that they don't find disastrous, uh, right? right. Uh, that they can live with, that they can tolerate, is what actually uh, uh, is what actually happens, or that they help, uh, you know, happen. That's a dilemma, right? That's a, a real dilemma. And what also doesn't really help is that um, nowadays there are very strong incentives. Uh, on the part of the two main political parties to nationalize all elections, right? Like, uh, and so. What do you mean? What many... do you mean by nationalize the elections? Good. Yeah, that's a good question. So, what I mean by that is that you know, uh, because our two parties have become uh, so much more homogenous internally than it used to be, and also so polarized from each other, right? Right. Uh, every single race matters, right? Like right. Every single, down to the most local uh, race matters because, um, yeah, because you're trying to hold on to a majority uh, in the House and the Senate. Uh, you're trying to win the presidency, right? Uh, or hold on to the presidency. And so, you know, with all the money that they're in politics and everything, right? Right. The parties are really going to try to back. Uh, uh, you know, the two main parties are really going to try to back somebody that they that they think is viable and that uh, is going to help the cause, right? Right. The party. Yeah, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And you know, I come from the world of advertising, and I think when I look at the major political parties in this country, I see nothing more than two brands, uh, two brands yeah. competing, and the people who. Uh, are part of that party just sub- are people who choose to subscribe to a brand and it really this is what I think is really fascinating about our system compared to some other systems in Europe because it's two parties you have voters and you have voters that subscribe to them and that kind of shapes their identity right it shapes the fashion they wear the people they listen to the music they listen to the tastes and phrases they talk about what's socially acceptable what's not socially acceptable i guess my question for you is in your view do you do you see that kind of like molding of people happening in um democracies that don't have that you know rigid structure like is there a difference there yeah yeah there is some of that in in democracies that don't have a rigid two-party system like ours um and, and, and I guess, uh, you know, the best example of that would be, for example, in countries that use the uh, proportional representation system, the peer system, right? Um, well, explain that. What, what is proportional system? What is that? So that is uh, a system that is a lot more common in Western Europe, uh, where instead of voting uh, for individuals, you're really voting more for a political party, right? right. And so... What counts at the end of the day is not um, how you voted in a defined geographical area or district of a country, right? Right. 
But what matters is basically the national or popular vote, right? And that is what determines how many seats in parliament a party gets, right? Uh, and so a system like that tends to uh, tends to ge- generate a lot more viable parties um, than the system that we have, right? And so right, uh, um, yeah. So in systems like that, for example, right, like uh, if you think about countries that have very strong union movements, uh, socialist parties, communist parties, and things like that, right? I mean, there's some of that. Uh, you know, party identity or partisan identification that percolates into how people, you know, how voters see themselves too, right? Like, you know, if you're a union member and you identify very strongly with the Socialist Party, for example, the Labour Party, something like that, right? Right, right, right. Um, yeah, that, that you tend to see uh, as well, um, right. Um, but in the U.S., what's interesting is that... Uh, these very rigid partisan identities that we have today, which, like you said, you know, they they really come down come down all the way to even like the the things you you eat or you know what I mean, like uh, whether you drink uh, lattes or Starbucks or I forgot where I heard it, but I I think there's a statistic that says like the closer you live to a um, Cracker Barrel, the more likely you are to identify with a a specific political party, which I—I I mean, yeah. I'm assuming it's the conservative party, but oh yes, yeah, yeah. So, you know, things like that, like you know, um, what do you like to do in your free time, right? Like, um, or you know, what what are the brands that you identify with or that you like, or you know, what's the food that uh, that you enjoy? You know, like you know, it wasn't the case always that uh, people were so uh, strongly identified um, with a major political party uh, uh, around so many different dimensions of their lives, right? Right. Uh, and that is what is different from, you know, other countries that don't use our system. Uh, and it's also... Uh, different from our own past right it seems like Uh, it's not so much that we're unique in that political affiliation shapes identity but maybe it's like other countries just have more choices like if you are in germany the parties are just catering to who you are instead of you manipulating your identity to fit in with uh, one of two choices yeah i would say the problem uh what, what makes us a little bit distinct is that um, compared to some of these other countries like Germany you mentioned is that you know nowadays to say that you are a Republican or a Democrat means a lot of you know different things in many different areas of life um, whereas in a place like Germany for example right I mean um, you have somebody who uh, really cares about the environment right so they identified really strongly with the Green Party, but the Green Party is a single-issue kind of part, right? So um, it would be kind of like if in the U.S. we would have many more political parties, and then we had, for example, um, you know, a party that people that are very, 
uh, much into the environment could identify with. And then another party of people that are really into guns, right? Like they could, right. they could identify with. Uh, and that that would be the difference. It would it's, so it would be, uh, yeah, that that there would be more parties catering to a single issue that really resonated with a segment segment of the electorate. That yeah. is super fascinating. So there's parties in Germany that are you know dedicated to the environment, and it speaks nothing to um, you know other issues like immigration or taxes or. It's just very focused in, in, in its approach to fixing one issue. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the Green Party cares mostly about the environment. But of course, you know, once they become viable um, nationally, like once they get seats in parliament uh, and things like that, or even like once they have to, the um, once they become members of a coalition, then of course they have to develop uh, ideas and platforms around, you know, some of these other issues. But the the, the you know the main thing for the Green Party is obviously the environment. I mean, back in the eighties, uh, for example, it was nuclear weapons, right? And like uh, trying to rid Germany of nuclear weapons uh, that were a lot of times there because of the U.S. and NATO, right? Right. And uh, today it might be, you know, uh, climate change. Uh, uh, but it's always a, a cluster of issues that that, uh, that have to do with, with the environment and sustainability and, and things like that. Yeah. So in Western Europe, we talked about how they have a proportional system, meaning they take a survey of the whole country and they allot the, you know, representation based on the percentage of votes so it's very one-to-one there's no winner take all mentality are there you know what are like obviously there's pros to that because it's more equal representation but are there any cons to that kind of approach and is, is there things that the majoritarian system uh you know has that the proportional system wishes it did yes good so um one problem with the proportional system is that it can devolve into uh, too many parties uh, and then um, you know you have a party system that is too factionalized if you will um, and that can also cause um, extreme parties to parties with very extreme views to become viable right because you know I mean you don't you don't need a lot of, a lot of votes right. Uh, in order to win to win seats, right? So, in that respect, I would say that perhaps the majoritarian system, right, uh, has uh, its 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 advantages, right? Like uh, you're not going to get, um, you know, a neo-Nazi party in a majoritarian system uh, that is viable. You're not going to, you know, end up with ten parties. Uh, that uh, make it impossible to form, you know, coalitions to govern. But again, that's that is not uh, a given necessarily of the PR system, right? Like, right. it could happen that way, but it doesn't have to happen that way, right? Like, there is Italy, and then there's Germany, right? Like, um, they both use the PR system, uh, and the results are very different, uh, and so. You know, in order to really know 
why some countries end up being like Germany with a very stable multi-party system, right? And why some countries end up like being like Italy, where there's a lot more volatility and things like that. I think you would have to know more about the country, you know, and, and there are more things that come into play. But, but, um, but with the with with the majoritarian system is the same. Like the majoritarian system worked pretty well in the U.S. Uh, for some time, right? Um, when the parties were not so internally homogenous and so polarized, right? The parties were more like, you know, a collection of, of a couple of factions, right? Right. And then now it's not working out uh, so well, right? So, um, do you think the solve for the issues that we have in the U.S. at this current moment would be alleviated by a proportional system? Um, I think yes. I think a proportional system uh, in the U.S. would help to some degree, but I think we also need to perhaps not abandon the majoritarian system completely, right? Interesting. Uh, and kind of like maybe do what Germany and Austria, for example, uh, do, which is they sort of use both, right? And they try to what they, they what what they have is a system that is called the mixed member proportional, which is really uh, trying to elect some legislators according to the majoritarian system, and then trying to elect some legislators according to the proportional system. I think. That would work, you know, well uh, uh, for our country, right? So, um, so like to put it in context, like a state legislation might be proportional, but the national federal elections might be majoritarian. Is that what you? Is that how that works? Is that what you would have in mind? Uh, what I had in mind was more like uh, at any given level, right? So, um, I was thinking more about the federal level and. I was thinking that, you know, maybe, you know, we could have uh, both the PR component and the majoritarian component at the federal level uh, Interesting. Uh, at the same time. Yeah. And I don't know, we would have to think about how we would do that, but whether we would want to do that uh, with both the Senate and the House or just, or just uh, maybe one of those uh, chambers. Has there uh, been any desire to do this? Obviously, I don't think that the major parties do have that desire, but have there been um, like any grassroots movement that y- you've seen to get the ball rolling on possibly changing this? No, I, I, I mean, <laughs> uh, the, the discussion that I've seen uh, around this is all among scholars. I have not seen right. um, politicians or members of the public really uh, sort of, um, you know, behind some sort of reform like this one. And I think it, it all comes down to, you know, people not being aware sometimes of the alternatives that, you know, that they have or that they're out there, right? Right. So, I mean, I don't even know if a majority of the population can name precisely the kind of electoral system that we have. I mean, you know, it's not a criticism of... No, I mean, I, to be honest, I didn't know what majoritarian, you know, meant. I, you know, so I totally empathize with that, and I don't think that's a criticism. But you're definitely right in that. Um, it's not something yeah. that comes up. I think how it comes up is just understanding and realizing that 
between these two candidates, both of them are kind of shitty, and you're picking your poison to an extent every two or four years or however many times you uh, vote. Yeah, I think there would have to be a, a social movement uh, that educated people more on, on these issues. And yeah, I mean, politicians don't have an incentive to do it, obviously. Um, and so, yeah, there would really have to be a grassroots movement uh, of people who really got themselves educated and then got themselves together and then started trying to spread the word that, you know, there's all these different ways of doing what we do, right? And we might benefit from contemplating, perhaps, you know, doing things a little differently than, than the way we do them. Well, Professor Alleyman, that was awesome. Thank you for being on the show. But before you leave, I do want to ask you, so I'm on Twitter, and on Twitter, you always hear people pleading, pleading, pleading for Senator Bernie Sanders to uh, mount a third-party run. Do you think he should do that? <laughs> you save the best for last, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, so it depends on whether you think that defeating Donald Trump, uh, denying Donald Trump a second term is the one thing that we really, really need to do uh, right now. Um, and my answer to that question is, uh, I think so. I, I think that Bernie Sanders should not run right now as a third-party candidate, uh, if only because, uh, I mean, actually, as a matter of fact, I, I wouldn't have said this, you know, in 2016, but I'm saying it now. I... I'm very concerned with the future of our democracy. Um, I really think that, you know, uh, our democracy is not doing well, but it hasn't been doing well for a while, but I really think that it's in danger, right? If we continue on this path. So I really think that right now we ought to um, worry about trying to make sure that Donald Trump is not reelected. I think many Americans would agree with that. Professor Aleman, thank you for being on the show. Best of luck and stay safe. Thank you, John, and the same to you, okay? I hope you enjoyed this episode of Unspeakable. It'd mean the world to me if you could follow my podcast on Spotify or subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts. For more info, visit theunspeakablepod.com.